Welcome to another episode of Sacred Cinema with me, your host, Jimmy Berners-Gony, recorded in the studios of 2XX FM, people-powered radio. On today's show, we're going to be taking a look at some beauties and some beasts. She's a beauty! And I'm your beast for today's conversation. Yes, we're taking a look at films that have a central female character uh, that is confronting some kind of beastly creature. Maybe it's her inner beast. We might get into that a little bit more uh, in a second. Uh, Why are we taking a look at Beauties and Beasts this week? Well, uh, last week we took a look at werewolves and the idea of indulging or embracing or or, or having that animalistic side of oneself thrust upon you. And, 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 and what are the implications of that? What that means? How do we deal with that sort of thing uh, as a society, as a culture? Well, I thought that was a very male-oriented uh, episode last week, which is fine. But I think this week we need to flip it over and have a look at, um, you know, what, what the equivalent is for, you know, female characters um, in, in cinema. But also, as we always do, um, throughout history, in art and in literature and that sort of thing, how have we depicted depicted these kinds of relationships in the past. Well, obviously, Beauty and the Beast, uh, we'll be talking about that quite a lot, the, the fairy tale um, from from the, you know, that we all knew as children and that sort of thing, and it's been made into multiple different films. Um, but the idea of beasts seducing mortals has been something that, that happened quite a lot in, in a lot of ancient Greek mythology. Um, uh, so so that's, it's always been a way in which we've been able to um, describe or enhance the characterization of a certain uh, archetype or hero or something like that um, by, by, by describing the kinds of animals. You know, uh, we talked about that last week, how animals have certain symbolic value uh, when used in stories. You know, it's a way of enhancing our understanding of a certain character. Um, but when we're specifically talking about animals and their relationships with humans, we are sort of getting into the territory of bestiality, if you know what I'm talking about. And if in a lot of the films um, this week that we're talking about, that there is this underpinning element of sexuality. Actually, in all three of the films, there is an underpinning element of sexuality. We won't get too deep into that in a couple of them. We definitely will in, in, in one of them. Um, but I think that's something to keep in mind. The relationship between the spiritual and the carnal. How are we supposed to reconcile um, those, those two things? The tension between those two concepts. Well, hopefully we're going to get a lot of interesting insights in the films uh, we're talking about today, but what are they? Well, the first one, of course, will be the Jean Cocteau uh, version of Beauty and the Beast from 1946. We're then going to move on to the notorious uh, film La Bête, otherwise known as The Beast, directed by Valerian uh, Borovchik. I should mention, if you haven't seen that film, just get ready. Um, don't, don't listen to this one with your parents. Uh, and then we're going to finish off with a film called The Babadook, uh, which any good Aussie cinephile would know about, directed by Jennifer Kent in 2014. Uh, obviously not necessarily um, a, a direct appropriation of the Beauty and the Beast story, but I think it's really it, there's some really interesting connections between uh, that and the original story. So I, I've been really excited to talk about that one uh, this week. But um, let's get on to the first one. Uh, La Belle et la Bête, directed by Jean Cocteau. So if you're not particularly familiar with this one, it is essentially a cinematic adaptation of the classic fairy tale. But obviously the story has been told and retold a number of different ways. So I think it might be uh, worth going over just a couple of important plot points uh, for the sake of today's discussion. So the first one I want to say is that as the film opens, uh, Belle is 
sort of depicted as daddy's little princess. I mean, she is one of three daughters that uh, that he's quite reliant on, that, 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 that this father is quite reliant on for love and care and support and that sort of thing. But Belle is sort of the, the meekest one of all of them. A little bit similar to you know, Cinderella and her, her bitter, twisted, uh, jealous sisters. They're much more interested in fame and riches and fortune and that sort of thing and marrying a prince for the for the sake of the status, you know, the, the status that will be acquired if they do so. Um, Belle isn't nearly as superficial and that sort of thing, but she is still quite immature. She's still quite young. She hasn't become a fully formed woman yet, um, I, I guess you could say. And then there's literally a moment where she does say to her daddy, uh, I'll, sorry, her father, I'll never leave you, daddy. Uh, and, and it actually, that that that, that dynamic, the, the way that they relate to each other, is sort of the cause for the main complication in this film. So at one point, um, Belle's father goes out on one of his adventures and that sort of thing, and, and, and she you know requests that he bring her back a rose um, to, to, to spoil her, with which to spoil her. And he actually plucks a rose um, from a garden that turns out to be the garden of the beast, as in, you know, the beast in terms of beauty and the beast, that beast. And, uh, you know, and, and, and from there ensues, uh, you know, the main, the main storyline, which is that, you know, um, you know, you, I get, the beast says, I get to kill you. And he says, no, you, you bring me one of your daughters instead and that sort of thing. And she goes off there and the beast falls in love with her. But, Meanwhile, while all this is going on, um, Belle has also been proposed to by this young fellow named Avanon. And she doesn't accept, but she, she still finds him quite attractive and that sort of thing. And in terms of talking about how the cinematic elements of this film enhance the original story, we cannot look past the fact that Jean Marais, who plays Avanon, uh, who you might know from Orphée, which is another film that uh, Jean Cocteau has directed, um, he also plays the Beast. So the casting of Jean Marais in this film is, is quite metaphorical. Uh, it is to say that the Beast and Avanon are two sides of the same person in a way. The Beast Beast being that animalistic, primal, carnal, uh, ugly, I guess you could say, side of this character, and Avanon being the, the vain, beautiful, um, and, and it's in, in a way, uh, it's conventional and civil, uh, the civil side uh, of that um of that character. And, and the idea of civility, I think, is really important in this film. You know, um, the Beast constantly tries to woo Belle by giving her riches and, and, and beautiful dresses and that sort of thing. And and when she goes back home, her sisters see that and they become jealous and, and that sort of uh, makes them more and more resentful. Um, but it's not really until she falls in love for good. I mean, it, it, the diamonds and the jewels, they aren't really enough. It's not until she really accepts the Beast for who she is that his true identity is revealed. And it, it is revealed that he is actually a man that resembles or is identical to that handsome man Avanon. So so to say that, you know, you know, the old adage of, you know, you kiss the frog, you get the prince. I, I guess that is one read of, or at least the of the final scene or of the, the film is that until she uh, until she loves uh, that ugly side of him or the beastly side of him, it's not until that happens that, that true love can reveal itself or the beautiful aspects of love can reveal itself or, or that she can be sure that she loves this guy in a total and absolute sense. That there's a sense of there's you know it, it's it's whole it's whole their relationship is whole at that point when she can love the beast for who he is but there's more to it than that at the same point that she eventually falls in love with the beast simultaneous to that uh, there's almost this cosmic relationship between these two events um, Avanon or at least that that vain side of that character is creeping into the beast's castle and he goes to steal all of his treasure and in that moment he's shot by one of the beast's pieces of furniture and that sort of thing and then he becomes the beast or his body becomes that same beastly body so equally what is truly beastly and in the end of the story is that narrow mindedness of vanity and, and, and it's through 
through these actions of these two sides of the same character, you know, that the true beast and the true beauty is ultimately revealed, right? It's through those actions, not, not who we present ourselves at the beginning of our story, but through, it's through actions that we are able to um, morph into our truest selves. Now, this is all well and good if we read the film as, as, as these characters being distinct, different entity, entities, different bodies and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we can go further and say that if we look at all the characters as different aspects of Belle, uh, we can unpack things a little bit um, differently or maybe in a more sophisticated fashion. And, and in order to do that, I want to think about you know, the setting of the film. I mean, the most, for the most part, the film takes place in the Beast's castle. And I like to think of that as, as Belle's psyche. In a way, you know, often when we're in a big house um, full of things in a film, that, that, that is quite representative of one's own sense of self. And I, I, I do love how there's all the hands, in the same way that the animated film has all these anthropomorphized or personified candlesticks and clocks and that sort of thing. Uh, in this film, you have all the, all the lights and chandeliers and, and all the different items in the house are, are, are all arms and things. And they, and they move in a sort of direct, in, a, in the same direction. They, they reveal hallways. They sort of push Bell in certain uh, areas of the house. It, it's sort of reminiscent of a dream or, or when we daydream and, and, and our brain sort of takes us in certain directions and, and we have our own little stories going on where, where we move in very particular and certain directions and trajectories and that sort of thing. Um, so in Belle's mind, she's sort of being pushed towards this uh, more animalistic side of her psyche. And it's not really until she fully embraces that that beastly side or that primal side, or let's put it this way, that uncivilized side that 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 that, that shatters or breaks free of the shackles of civility and that and that meekness and that and that little girlness, that dainty little girlness that, that we saw at the beginning of the film, that she can fully mature, that she can fully integrate all the different aspects of who she is. And I think that is best um, conveyed in one of the final quotes of the film. When when the beast, who's now been revealed to be this beautiful uh, man, says that he'll fly away with Belle and he says, um, will you be frightened? She says, I don't mind being frightened with you, right? Now, there is one way to interpret that, which is, you know, this is sort of a horrible way to interpret that, which is that, you know, that when you love your husband, you need to understand that there are some dark sides to him and, and th that might frighten you and you need to be okay with it. I don't think it's really getting at that. I think that word frightened is, is, is charged a certain way. And I wish I could speak French to break down what that word actually means um, in French, but it's not so much that she's frightened anymore. Fear is a different thing at this point. It's more that she's come to terms with those darker animalistic sides of her psyche, right? It's not so much that she fears them, but she backs herself more, right? She doesn't mind being frightened. She's not actually frightened of that side of herself anymore, of that beastly side. In fact, she's, she's now acknowledged or become aware of the fact that she's a lot more brave uh, than she thought she was and that she's able to confront those sides of herself or, or, or even those sides of life. And uh, we did, a, we did an episode on confronting the truth and we talked about the, you know, the symbolic value of darkness and that sort of thing. I think some of those symbols are quite, uh, they, they parallel the ones in this film and the films we're going to talk about later in today's show, which is the idea of becoming more brave, becoming okay with things that would otherwise have made you uncomfortable, confronting that beastly side of your psyche so as to um, make progress in your life and, and to be a more whole, more integrated person. 
But is there another film that we can turn to now that perhaps centers on a similar sort of storyline, has a similar narrative structure, similar characters, and very similar themes and ideas and that sort of thing, but maybe steers into the tension between, um, you know, the animalistic and the and the societal, or, or, or the primal and the and the conventional, in a way that's perhaps a little bit more vivid uh, or a little bit more graphic, let's say. Well, at this point, I'd like to move on to the 1975 film directed by Valerian Borovchik, uh, known as The Beast. Now, now, I'm just going to warn you up front that this film is an extremely graphic film. I mean, it does border on the pornographic. I wouldn't really watch this one with your parents unless that's the sort of thing that you guys do. Um, but I, I think, nevertheless, it is worth talking about. I think there's some really profound imagery in this film. I think it does have its place in cinematic history. I, I do like it when uh, directors do play with the form and they do push the envelope and that sort of thing. I mean, I don't think this one could be pushed any further, but I did. I do really like the film. I think it's a really interesting movie. And I think a lot of the images are definitely worth discussing in today's um, conversation. Uh, but let's move on to the actual plot of the film if you haven't seen it um it centers on lucy who is very similar to Belle. i mean she's very sheltered she's from a very rich background she's um, quite innocent i think a good way of um conveying you know what she's like is she's, she's very civil right I, a lot of this film actually reminded me of um a lot of the shots in uh, picnic and hanging, hanging rock uh, i don't know why but you know you know the white dresses and young little girls having to you know deal with nature and that sort of thing when they're sort of um you know developing into women and that sort of thing uh and, and i mean she's this, this lucy's actually chaperoned by her aunt virginia uh in this film at the beginning of the film because she's being married off to this young fella named matherin who's from another family and and the film opens with this very graphic image which i think is a, a, a you know parallels what's going on in the actual plot of the film quite nicely uh, despite being quite sexually explicit it, it it's this scene where these two horses um, in Mathurin's stables are actually being bred, and we actually see the the, the, the intercourse going on. Actually, um, but I think you know, with all the cross cutting going on, I think it's a really apt metaphor for for an arranged marriage. Really, you know, an arranged marriage is like you're bringing two people together from different lineages, from different bloodlines, to to to, to try and continue those elite bloodlines themselves. You know, it, it is very similar to um, breeding animals. So, and I think that's like a, an interesting way of putting it uh, that I never thought about myself. I don't know if that's a metaphor that people use uh, often in, in, in Europe around this time but I thought it was quite an interesting way to open the film Meanwhile, in being chaperoned um, to this to this mansion, um, Lucy's passing through all these forests, and you know, given her sheltered background and everything, she's actually quite fa- fascinated and almost overwhelmed uh, by all the trees and the nature and everything. She's taking all these photos, and she, she thinks it's absolutely wonderful. Um, so there's this yearning within her, this internal yearning to break free of the shackles of the you know the rigid sa- shackles of society and and civility and that sort of thing. Uh, and and I think there's a quite an apt way that that is. Um, um, symbolized in the fact that there's a scene where she actually masturbates while looking at photos of nature, the photos that she's taken. And then later on in the film, um, there is a scene where she actually is quite imaginative with a rose. Uh, and there's, it is another masturbation scene where she uses a rose um, in, in quite a sexual way. So I think those are quite symbolic of the fact that she is trying to break free of um, society and civility in that sense. But I think what's really important in this film is that she is not the only character doing that. All of the characters in this film, or at least a lot of the characters in this film, even if they are you know, very well-dressed and from um, very regal backgrounds and that sort of thing, have this internal yearning to break out of that so- those societal shackles, right? There's actually a pre in the film that is uh, I don't want to I don't know how to put it but he's let's say he's quite well acquainted with these these boys that um, he brings to the house um, and I think that's sort of suggesting this idea that you know even he even the top dog in this religious hierarchy um, can't help um, but but let 
that that those sexual urges in him break out every once in a while. And I think a big part of this film is really bringing into question, you know, what is truly the the, the shameful act here? You know, for all these people claim to be, um, you know, regal and sophisticated and that sort of thing, they fall into these. Um, they 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 also have these sexual urges as well. Don't don't let the facade of society um, blind you. Every human being has these kinds of urges, and and it's it's mere trickery if you think that they don't. And and there is another character in this film. I, I can't go into too much detail, but. And um, we do see, you know, that that some of the characters being saved for marriage, and others are just completely disposing of those conventions, and and are clearly more functional and more stable, and that sort of thing. Um, but let's but let's move on um, with with the uh, with the plot of the film. Uh, later in the film, um, when Lucy gets to the house, um, she's told this story of Romilda. Um, who was confronted with a beast uh, in the forest, and um, she actually makes love with this beast, and it's it's sort of the the, the central point, uh, the, the the focal point of the film. Uh, and in that scene I mentioned before, where uh, Lucy is masturbating with the rose, she's actually fantasizing about this story. And in this story uh, with Romilda and the beast, at first Romilda is uh, she, she she rejects the beast or she restrains the beast, and and she's actually running away from it. And I should say as well, the beginning of the story I think is really important. She's playing harpsichord in this sort of like rotunda temple thing. So that is sort of the image itself of society. And, and you know, it's a, it's a Baroque instrument. It's very much, um, you know, a, a human construct. And that and the harpsichord music um, plays throughout this entire scene as to juxtapose um, these, these extremely carnal and primal, uh, these extremely carnal and primal activities that we see um, throughout this scene. Now, uh, Romilda eventually gives in to this beast, um, and I suppose in 2021 it's a little bit off-putting. But you know, we've got to remember that the, the, this is this isn't an entire fantasy that Lucy is uh, buying into. You know, she's actually enjoying, it. and it is a story. This isn't actually exactly what's happening in the film, but it's a story that that's in, that's in a book that she's fantasizing over. So it's something that she's sort of buying into as the the fantasizer, let's say. Anyway, so in this story, Romilda eventually gives in to the beast, and she starts having sex uh, with the beast. And when um, Lucy's being told the story, it's it's said that that Romilda overcomes the beast. That's the specific wording. That's, again, I don't speak French, and this film is in, in French, just like the uh, Beauty and the Beast film. And I wish I did, because I want to I want to know what that word uh, in French actually, what are the connotations of overcame uh, means? Because it, it, what happens is the beast lies dead on the ground after their uh, their sexual activity. So as to say that it's not, a, it's not a total embrace of the beast that Romilda engages in, nor is it a complete rejection. Uh, and, and, and there's a... And I think... What it's really getting at is that that she walks away from this encounter a different person. She actually eventually buys into it with the idea of overcoming the beast to almost take something from him into her own life, to integrate a part of that beast into her own life, right? And I think that's partly symbolized by all of the uh, the the graphic imagery of of, of all the, the all the semen, right? She's inseminated by this beast, and I think that is almost like quite an interesting symbol of her taking something from him and moving on into the world in that way. So, as I said before, this is all fantasized over by Lucy, and and and, and when she comes out of the fantasy and she goes to Mathurin, um, who's been sleeping in the other room, it's revealed that he himself is actually offspring of Romilda and the beast. That he is an actual beast. So, as we're talking about before the idea of all of these people who are supposedly regal and sophisticated and everything um actually being so that's an actual facade it's re- revealed that Mathurin this this young man that she's being married off to is in fact an actual 
actual beast so as to symbolize that the tr- again similar to with beauty and the beast the actual beastly behavior the actual beast is the person that engages in all of this rigid oppressive all of these rigid and su- oppressive societal norms and lucy and um, the, the film ends with lucy and virginia running away from this mansion and 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 how i like to think of the, the ending of this film because it, it, it ends with a dream where lucy is burying the beast like the beast from the story so as to say that she's put that that part of her psyche away. She's put that beastly part of her psyche away. But I like to think that she's walking away a different person. She is walking away from this experience with 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 new properties, with new attributes, in, in going through the forest and, and embracing that and 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 walking into that that what was previously a dark and unknown realm. She has come out a more mature person. In fact, she's breaking she's broken free of these shackles, partly by embracing that more animalistic side of herself, but not to the extent that she herself engages in beastly behavior or, or engages with a beast, right? So I think what's really interesting about this film for the purpose of today's conversation is the way that we're meant to relate to the beast, the inner beast within our own psyche or, 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 or outside in the rest of the world. It, 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 it's, it's a relationship of oscillation, right? We go in and come out of it. We, we don't fully embrace it, but we don't fully reject it. We need to acknowledge it, but we need to move forward. We need to acknowledge it to the extent that we move forward in our life, a new person with that integrates new aspects of the natural, new aspects of the organic, um, of the intuitive, of the primal into our lives, but not to the extent that we engage in all out bestiality as you know and, and that's sort of um I think that is reminiscent of the, the beginning of the conversation where we talked about how in the ancient Greek there was depictions of bestiality, but in the but in Christian doctrine it, it's very much shunned, right? It's this idea that we do want to embrace a part of us that is natural, but not to the extent that we go too far, that we that we um, what's the opposite of transcend? That we descend into the carnal and completely reject that those spiritual part those spiritual parts of us that make us human. And now I want to move on to the third and final film, which I think really plays with that uh, in a in a much more dark and mysterious. Or, or, or a much more confronting context, right? I, I, this one isn't a fantasy film, and it is, it is a horror film, but I think it's dealing with much more realistic themes or, or much more recognizable themes. And it's playing with this idea of oscillating between embracing and rejecting the beast. And that would be um, the 2014 film, The Babadook. So as I mentioned at the beginning of today's show, I, I don't mean to say that this one is actually was was intended to be uh, a direct appropriation of the Beauty and the Beast story, but I don't actually think that matters. I think there are a lot of links between um, the other two films we've talked about today uh, and the original Beauty and the Beast story and uh, and the Babadook. Uh, I think that's a good example of how you know when artists are tapping into something deep, they very often do lift up the same images and and characterizations and narrative structures and that sort of thing. Um, so there's a real uh, uh, a real collective unconscious thing going on um, in today's show, and, I, and I've been really excited to talk about um, this one. Um, in particular this week. Um, But if you haven't seen the film... It centers on the character of Amelia, who's played by Essie Davis, and she is the mother of her uh, son, Samuel, who's about to turn seven years old. Now, um, what's particularly important uh, in, in this story is that uh, Samuel was born the day that his father, i.e. Amelia's husband, died. In fact, he died while driving Amelia to the hospital to have Samuel. So I guess this is our first link to the Beauty and the Beast uh, story, which is that Amelia has these two male figures in her life. Um, they're not romantic figures as, figures as such, like, 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 like the, the male figures in the 
other films. But she's got these two um, male figures in her, in, I guess, within her family structure that are two halves of the same whole in a way, right? One uh, where where one is, the other isn't. Where one dies, the other begins, right? When she thinks of one, she thinks of the other side, uh, which is the other one, and vice versa. And we actually hear that in a lot of the dialogue. So whenever she sees Daniel, Daniel, uh, sorry, whenever she sees Samuel, um, she thinks of uh, her husband and vice versa, and that sort of thing. Um, so that's that underpins the entire film, and it's really important to to remember as you watch the film. Uh, anyway, Samuel is quite a poorly behaved young uh, young man, and he gets suspended from school and that sort of thing. And Amelia is constantly trying to calm him down, and one of the ways she does that is reading him books before he goes to bed because he's scared of monsters and that sort of thing. And she reads him this one called The Babadook, and that sets him off, and that, and that it's really scary because it's about this monster that's going to haunt you in your dreams and that sort of thing. Uh, and I, I should mention at the beginning, uh, I just want to say that I know a lot of people have talked about this, but but the book itself has empty pages at the back, uh, which then get filled as the film progresses. And it is mentioned that Amelia did do some children's uh, writing in the in the um, uh, in her past, uh, you know, later on in the film. And um, I, I think that's really important because you know, despite the fact that she undergoes so much you know, turmoil and, 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 and many, many horrors in this film. She is still the author of her own story. Uh, both symbolically, uh, both symbolically and literally, in the in this film, and and so much of what this film is about is how she confronts her life, the steps that she takes as an individual to better her situation, and how she also detriments her own situation. How how again, this beast is a creation of her own mind. That this is something that exists within her own psyche, and she's ultimately actually in power, uh, or actually has power over it. Um, but 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 getting to the actual monster itself, I mean, we can talk about um, the symbolic imagery of it and how it. You know, wears a top hat, which is similar to the top hat that Samuel wears at the beginning of the film, and it, it looks a bit like a magician. And Samuel's trying to be a magi- magician and that sort of thing. And it almost—I like the idea as well that it, it, it's clearly a man, and it's an aristocratic man. So it, 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 he haunts her as this like um, this domineering masculine figure as well, which I think is really important. Um, but I also want to talk about the fact that I don't want to limit the monster to distinct uh, to a distinct concept i mean you could obviously say it's it's a symbol for uh, for grief or, or more broadly mental health or depression or something like that but i think it's a perfect example of how uh, a symbol uh, in, or it's a perfect example of a, of, a, of a symbol that is in excess of what we can express and i suppose in a general sense it is the manifestation of not not fully processing grief not not grieving in a way that is that is, that is uh, ultimately beneficial or effective because throughout the film, uh, Amelia doesn't mention her husband. She keeps avoiding it, and, and Samuel actually keeps bringing it up with strangers. And he goes down to the basement where all the husband's stuff is, and, and Amelia really hates it. So they, they're they're colliding because Samuel is acknowledging the death of his father, or at least the past existence of his father, whereas Amelia is ignoring it. And and, and I think that the tension that exists between those two concepts is 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 really interesting. And, and there's a there's a there's a quote in the film that 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 gets mentioned over and over again that Samuel says to his mom, he says, don't let it in, don't let it in. He's talking about the, the Babadook there. And I think that's such interesting language because it's about letting it in. To, to grieve involves actually acknowledging or confronting um, how you're feeling, right? You actually are letting that in. Um, but you don't want to let in that part of you that is so fearful that you never do it, that, that, that you're so fearful of those emotions and, and how far your emotions as, you know, as intuitive and primal urges can, can throw you around. You don't want to let that part in as well. So, so, so that's why I think it's, it's quite relevant to today's discussion. 
And, and ironically, by acknowledging this beast, Samuel actually becomes the more stable one in this pairing, right? And, and, and so that's sort of lifting up this idea that you do actually have to confront the beast to an extent. Otherwise, it will consume you in, its, in your entirety. And so when um, Amelia actually is... Uh, actually lets the beast in and we see her eyes dilate and everything, that's actually following up a moment in the film where she's running away from the beast. So it's actually by by not letting it in that she lets it in, or at least by not confronting it is how, is the, is the means at which is the means through which she actually um, is consumed by it. And it's not until she actually confronts it at the end and screams at it and yells at it and boxes it up and, and actually possesses it herself and, and puts it in the basement and periodically deals with it and periodically faces up to it that she can actually move on with her life. So we're left in this film feeling uh, this sense that, again, we're, we're oscillating between confrontation and avoidance, um, between embrace and rejection. That at the, the end of the film, for the, at the end of the film, for the rest of Emilia's life, she is going to go down to that basement to feed this thing, and she will be scared in doing it. But it's the only way to move forward. The only way to move forward is, is to face up to these beasts and you will be scared, don't get me wrong, but that is the only way to do it. And the only way, that ultimately the only way to confront the beast or to acknowledge it in a way that is, that is beneficial is to get braver, is to deal with it every day as a more brave person, as a person that is more brave than they were the day before. And, and we see that in her face by the end of the film that she actually is comfortable with, the, with that, that while it is a very scary thing to acknowledge the death of your husband, it is something that you have to do so that, that you don't rot at the core from doing so. So I suppose that is the through line um, with respect to all the films today, that, it, that it's not necessarily about fully embracing or fully rejecting these beasts, but by owning them, by dominating them, by possessing them yourself, making them a part of who you are so that you're in control of them, that they don't control you. So that's Sacred Cinema for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next time. Cheers.